show is back glad to have you all tuning in to the fish stripes podcast you better be subscribing to fish stripes to get this episode before anybody else should be available wherever you get your pods this is eli sussman alongside alex Contreras. with miami marlin spring training rapidly approaching many of the players on the team's roster coaching staff are familiar faces lots of continuity with the team but there has been a changing of the guard at one of the most important positions around the team the new MLD.com Marlins beat reporter will be providing us with valuable Marlins info, insight, discussion topics throughout 2021. Hopefully beyond that, we have Christina DiNicola. She's our special guest on the show for the first of hopefully very many times. Hey, Christina, we are delighted to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Now I feel like it's official now. <laughs> Um, so we're going to begin to some current events coverage, obviously, with the Marlins coming off postseason berth and heading into what's going to be year four of the rebuild. A lot of expectations, a lot to get to there. But first, some background details for the audience on you, um, because I know we'll get into this shortly. You've been involved with MLB Advanced Media for a number of years, but now being in this role, being every day on the beat, uh, people are curious about how you got into baseball in the first place, if you can remember uh, your first memories of being interested in the team. I, I, I believe you were born and raised in South Florida, right? So any memories you have of being yeah, born and raised Marlins? in a county Dade. Yeah, being around the Marlins and rooting for the Marlins. What's um, What brought you into baseball in the first place and made you interested in it? Yeah, so as I try to quip with the trick daddy lyric, I grew up, I was born in Miami. Um, I'm old enough that the team didn't exist, I guess, in my early childhood. Uh, but I mean, it was the hometown team. My dad's a transplant from New Jersey, but from decades ago, he was never too much into baseball. It was my aunt who's always been. So we'd go to Fort Lauderdale um, spring training when the Orioles were there. Uh, earliest memories went to game six of the 1997 World Series. <laughs> I missed it by a day. Uh, I think we tried to get tickets for 2003, but uh, bandwagon fans, as many people in South Florida will know, <laughs> uh, took those up. I think there were gonna be tickets for the one that got rained out. I think that was game three. That didn't happen. But yeah, so as a little kid, I was always, I loved reading, I loved writing, loved sports. I would uh, do newsletters to Florida State football, which is funny because years later I would go to University of Miami. Um, but uh, always wanted to be a sports writer and pursued that at UM. Out of college, I interned with MLB.com. So that was a long time ago, a decade ago, which is terrifying, 2011. Uh, worked with Joe, got to know Joe Fusara that way. Then it was a long and winding road, just like this synopsis, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, where I worked for the Herald, covering everything from polo on the beach, as in like courses, wow. to high school football, uh, Marlins, Panthers, Dolphins, FIU, UM, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, the last four years or so, I've uh, been at MLB.com. There was a two-year stint with Fox Sports Florida as their Marlins beat writer. Um, and then they had nationwide layoffs and it was almost like, oh crap, what do I do now? So yeah, that's a quick, I guess, you know, idea of what I've been doing the past 30 plus years of my life. <laughs> you always have my support as a fellow hurricane. 
<laughs> well, it's just, it's like I said, it was funny because like even my brother, I'm in my brother's old room because the Wi-Fi sucks and <laughs> you'll learn as like remote working these days. It's like everyone's using it. So now it stinks. Right. This is the best place for the Wi-Fi. But yeah, like Florida State locker over here for no reason, but I went to Miami uh, during the Rainy Shannon decade, uh, era. So that wasn't a joyous one. Yeah, I caught a tiny bit of that very end of that so yeah and then and then the very very beginning of Al Golden so that was right um right and specifically with MLB.com because I've obviously been uh, not back in 2011 but in more recent years I know you've you've done um in 2019 in particular it seemed that you were in this really unique role where uh it seemed at least from the outside that MLB wasn't sending its road beat riders to Miami that often. And you were so often covering the road team. Can you just explain what that was? Cause that sounded challenging and unglamorous, but also very important. Right. So um, my first couple of years back at MLB, I was strictly a producer. So behind the scenes, I was editing the reporter's work. So it could have been Joe's. It could have been, you know, anybody from the 30 teams. And uh they made a position within the last years called a reporter game producer, which um, they thought was a natural transition for me, where if they didn't send the beat reporter from their own team, especially, I guess, cost or whatnot, that I would fill in. So I um, unfortunately might have been <laughs> a bad luck uh, for the Brewers because Christian Yelich got hurt when I covered the series in Miami. Corey Kluber got hurt uh, when the tribe visited Miami, uh, but it was a unique uh opportunity uh, even last spring training before things shut down because I got a great understanding of a lot of different teams that would come in and you know random players from the American League Central that the Marlins want to see often I know because I'd have to do research on them and uh, kind of get a feel for you know not just this NL East that you, know, you see 19 times a year for each team right um and then we need to get to where we are now with the transition from Joe Frasaro. I mean, the listeners to our show know Joe very, very well. People that have been to our site. Um, I mean, as far as I know, you're, uh, he was the one and only Marlins beat reporter for MLB.com since they invented that position. And since they started breaking out the site into team coverage in 18 plus years, he took a retirement package at least publicly, I know he made that announcement in mid-December, and then his last official day was December 28th, and then I believe he even had like scheduled articles go up around January 1st, and then I was a, a little, I wasn't suspicious because I was already familiar that you were involved with MLB Advanced Media, so I saw your first article like on January 3rd or January 4th, um, and I, I thought you might have been like an interim beat reporter while they were going about the actual search process. I hadn't realized that that transition had already happened. Can you explain when you found out that Joe was leaving and uh, what was the process and, and them choosing you? Are you uh, officially applying? How did that all shake out? Yeah, so it was a, a whirlwind. Um, I think I'd gone in a text or I saw uh, long story short is a lot of, not a lot, I guess more than expected uh, reporters took uh, the retirement and obviously the company thought it was somewhat of a natural and uh, perfect fit for me, I guess, having learned under Joe, being down here, sort of the game producer, the role that I was working in was uh, almost prep. So if something like this were to happen, I guess, eventually, 
um, having grown up here and knowing the team, um, knowing the inner workings of our company, it, uh, it all came about very quickly. And it turns out, I guess I was really good at keeping secrets because <laughs> I, I had known for a few weeks from when that first story, uh, I think it was uh, Ross Detweiler, which is funny because I wasn't officially supposed to start till January 4th, but I sent uh, an email to one of the editors. I was like, do we don't have anything up on the site. Do you want me to write it? People might put two and two together. And he goes, go ahead, it'd be good practice. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it was like a Saturday night. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. You know, we got to get used to the beat grind again. And uh, yeah, we've been at MLB.com, especially in the off season, if things are slower, we have, uh, we're putting together evergreen pieces or archival items. So today, actually two of mine are up. Uh, the top five pitching performances in Marlins history, single game. And uh, I put a fun, fun one I thought putting together, uh, the best player from each nation, so like country or territory uh, that the Marlins have had. So anywhere from United, uh, United States Virgin Islands, US Virgin Islands, or uh, United Kingdom, you know, Nicaragua, Brazil, everywhere in between. So that's why Joe had a few like story still at the turn of the new year right and if you're doing that one about foreign nations you need to remember austin bryce he is i think he's the only player born in hong kong i have that trivia fact seared into my mind from like a few years yeah. ago. oh he made the cut he's in there Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> he got it by default Perfect. very very thorough job right there and hey, christina yeah. uh real quick just thinking about it and like listening to your whole story i think it's so cool and like incredible like what 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 would 10 year old Christina, like your, your 10 year old version, like if you see it, like what, what would she say? Or what would you say to her? Well, it's, it's surreal too. Cause I think when Kim Ang got hired, um, I was kind of not at a crossroads in my career, but it just like, wow, she should have had her role, you know, decades before, I'm not saying that for me, but you know, as a, as a 10 year old Christina or even out of college and just expecting my career to take a different path and instead of having a lot of detours along the way I'd be like hey you'll get there in the end uh it's actually a tease Joe I went out talking to him a couple of weeks ago that I think in 2005 my friends and I sent him a, a question for the mailbox for the inbox <laughs> and he answered it I think it was about Carl Delgado so it was just like this weird surreal like full circle moment like hey I'm actually answering and these questions, so I, I get where they're coming from. And now I get to be the one that hopefully imparts some analysis or whatnot. It's kind of, it's surreal. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it, it happened to me when I met Joe, I told him, I was like, hey man, I sent you emails as a kid too. And like, it, it's, it's like you say, it's for full circle and it's incredible. Uh, it's an incredible thing. Thanks for sh sharing your journey with us. Yeah, um, and I it's also it's like, I. Oh, I was just saying, I tease him, like, I don't want to make you feel old, because his he has a daughter who's my age, who's also Christina, so <laughs> it's just funny, he's almost like my baseball dad, so it's like, hey, like, I'm seeing you more than, you know, my actual parents sometimes. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, changing the subject for you, I think it's incredible how, you know, Kim Ang, she's the first women GM in, in sports history, you know, and like, at what better time for you to come up, come aboard to be the Martin's beat writer, um, I think it's so cool too. How many little girls are you going to be inspired for the next generation? Like, I think that's so cool that, that, that it's happened and, and you're, you're helping pass that torch along to the next generation. And, and you know what, what's the, the cherry on top of the Sunday? 
for me is is that you're a local like you've seen this whole fan like for fan base of franchise grow through the good and the bad and now you're here and shout out to your brother for the cool baba heads in the background <laughs> well it, i have a lot in my room as well but the internet's really really bad um the odd thing though is for whatever reason it seems like random like washington nationals yeah right <laughs> there's i think jason worth that's Lavernius Coles with the Washington football team. I'm mm-hmm. actually really good at pointing right now. I think there's a Luis Castillo. Oh, no. Yeah, Luis Castillo bobblehead that has a broken head behind me, which I got uh, my sophomore year in softball. I went the whole year without committing the error at second base. And so they gave me the Luis Castillo Sure Hands Award. <laughs> um, so that's funny. But he's black <laughs> right now. You can see his detached. He was decapitated. Yeah. And a quick shameless plug uh, for Fish Stripes on Twitter. If you're listening to this now, either on Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, we're giving away a Don Mattingly Manager of the Year bobblehead. Um, I think it's still a little behind in terms of production. It's a pre-order that you probably won't get for a few weeks, but all you have to do is retweet the pin tweet on our Fish Traps account and you're, you're entered to win that bobblehead. But that uh, I wasn't expecting to actually plug that during our conversation, but it's perfect. Perfect yeah, that's perfect. And it's Lady Gaga's favorite major league manager. So I had to right. get that in there. Right. <laughs> but also I had to get that in there. Yeah, I mean on that subject, um, well one on uh, on Wednesday, Marlon Sands may have seen this already because you have an article on Marlins.com and we also mentioned it on Fish Traps is that Kim Ang is gonna be part of the inauguration. Uh, Joe Biden yes. and Kamala Harris on the the Wednesday night uh, primetime special that's going to be on all the major TV networks and online as well. Um, but a pre-recorded uh, bit mm-hmm. from Kim about, uh, well, we'll see exactly what it's about. Do you have, um, given your access, did, did you already get a sneak peek at what she says or are you in suspense? God bless. I, I haven't seen it, but I've kind of gotten an idea of what's the, I guess, the, uh, the you know, just right. kind of what she might do. Right. I mean, she's not going to like, you know, juggle or, you know, start saying, obviously, but uh, I think, you know, regardless of your political affiliations or whatnot, um, that's a really cool honor, you know? Um, so that's, it's going to be great exposure for the organization. Uh, obviously, you know, Kim Ang has meant a lot to so many already, you know, obviously she now has a job or she is doing a job, but just what it represents is a big deal. Right. And you would have been tuning in anyway, but I'm pretty sure I saw that Lady Gaga was also performing as part of the inauguration too. So that's, yeah. Yeah, so it was a good way for us to segue into, I got you, I got you. <laughs> yeah, that, it's going to be much, much watch uh, thing for Kim Hang uh, in the middle of this Marlins offseason. Actually, I mean, we're getting towards the end of the offseason or probably no more than a month until pitchers and catchers start to report uh on a general level before getting into the Marlins too much. I mean, we're still in limbo about the actual rules that Major League Baseball is going to have in 2021. Uh, It seems that the sense is that a lot of the experimental rules we had last year are still going to be involved. The seven inning double headers, the runner on second base and extra innings, uh, the universal DH in expanded postseason in some form. I mean, these are all things that it seems that MLB is pushing for and they're just trying to pressure the players union into accepting all that but as as someone that I guess for most of your life you're used to National League Baseball and of course you're used to uh, more traditional baseball without these rules that were just plugged in uh, last year what was your impression of the 2020 season and how those 
different rules affected the gameplay, both from the Marlins perspective and uh, just as a fan, how many are you actually uh, excited about st sticking around? How many do you think should be sticking around long-term? Well, what I found interesting is last month when uh, Don Manningly spoke to us, uh, he kind of said the same thing I did. Is, you know, once you saw them in action, it was fine. Um, the DH, I just, I don't want to see a pitcher hit again. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I was always the idea, oh yeah, the strategy of the National League went up, but no. I mean, whether it's fluke injuries or, you know, they're not, in college, they're not hitting, you know, in the professionally and in the minor leagues, it's just 100%. 100%. Yeah, you saw that freak injury that happened to Matt Scherzer. He was doing the little bunt during batting right. practice and it, it hit him in the eye. Like, what are the odds that, that it happens to Pablo Lopez or Sandy and, and they go out there and throw like a shutout? <laughs> so, the, the, that's not, those aren't very good odds. And I, I'm completely on board with what Christina's saying. Like, I felt the same way too. I'm all about the old school mentality, National League Baseball. It's a human uh, chess game, you know, uh, human checkers, whatever you want to call it. Like, but but I'm right. Like, it, like what she's saying, like when we got that DH, we were spoiled. Like now we got more offense. It makes our, our, our whole team more potent as a whole. And speaking of that, like, what's the deal? What's going on? Like, you know, like, let's say that, that we, we don't get the DH. Right. We got Jesus Aguilar. The logic tells me that we got to put Coop out in right field. And Coop, he showed some awesome footage on Instagram, on social media recently. He's looking extremely slim and he's looking athletic and he's looking like he's ready to rake for the season. So hopefully he has that same mentality from last year. That he was talking about he needed a spark under his ass right out the gate. <laughs> well, but see, then also the fear, though, is if that has to happen, Garrett Cooper um, has a tendency sometimes to get injured. So putting him in right field, you think would be a little, you know, more prone possibly than playing at first base. But I mean, that's obviously just not making assumptions, but. Um, well, I think it's yeah. a fair assumption. Right? If you look at last season, I, I thought it was no coincidence that Coop didn't play in right field at any point, even though it was the team's weakest position. At, I mean, Matt Joyce uh, wasn't quite what they hoped he would be. Lewis Brinson had a great hot streak in the middle, but he was inconsistent. He had some dry spells as well. And, and overall, if you look at the production, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think combined, the right fielders hit about 180 with like a 520-something OPS. It was, it was brutal. And um, you, you would think that they would look for other ways to make sure that Aguilar and Cooper were in the lineup every single day together because those two were were both pretty terrific when they were actually healthy but the fact that they had those issues in right field and even once we got to the playoffs and there's so much at stake and even still uh, they were like actually um, settling for the fact that they weren't getting much in right field so I think that says something about their perhaps lack of confidence in Cooper staying healthy out there because defensively he's actually pretty solid out there especially with his arm strength but uh, that injury risk he's a guy that he's 30 years old um, at a time where you usually wonder whether players are already declining but he's someone that because of injuries he's had so few opportunities to play that you wonder if he could just finally be healthy and uh, if he's in the best shape of his life right now it looks like he might be that as long as yeah as he stays healthy he's someone that could actually have a breakout even beyond what he's shown so far. Right. And if you have the DH, I mean, just playing off of what happened in the postseason where they actually went with Cooper at first base and Jesus as the DH. I mean, in a 162 game season, you could easily have them, you know, take turns just, you know, that guy's not playing the field every day. And 
you know, the wear and tear on their legs. Um, so, I mean, I'm really interested whether, you know, with the DH, if they keep the seven inning double headers, that obviously helps the Marlins out quite a bit <laughs> in 2020 out of necessity, of course, but, you know, with the team that has strong starting pitching, if you shorten the game like that, you don't have to worry about what the bullpen looks like. And then uh, what else is there? There's uh, oh, right, the runner at second base, um, which ended up right. The first time the Marlins had, it was in Toronto, well, Buffalo, right? I believe And they, well, it's the whole, the strat and the, there you go. There goes the strategy. You don't have the DH anymore. At least you have the strategy. You can make it to extra innings where you have to figure out if you're going to bunt or not. Right. Here in extra innings from one of the youngest Marlins. <laughs> Didn't do much, just put the ball in play, caught it off the end of the bat. A little soft serve into center field, gets the job done. But yeah, I, he was, Don Manning, he's saying, he was like, you know, people complain at first and then they get used to it and then just roll with it. And um, we'll see if that ends up happening in 2021 as well. Yeah, I mean, the one change that I really want to see, I, I wasn't really pressing for any of these except aside for the universal DH. I mean, that one always seems like a no-brainer. Uh, mm -hmm. Other one I'm pushing for this year, there hasn't been really any hints of it actually coming, but is the pitch clock to speed up the pace of the game. And how if you even compare baseball that we were watching as little kids, if you actually rewind and actually see those games live now, how much quicker they go and how the it's almost been a steady evolution of pitchers realizing at the major league level that the longer I wait, the more I can regain my strength, the harder I can throw, the more effective I can be that just slowly that became something that everybody was exploiting today. And that's why these games move slower than ever in between pitches. But we're now um, several years into having minor league baseball with these pitch clocks that are, I think, 20 seconds, if I have that right, uh, in between pitches. And so young players now coming up through the minors are already totally used to it. And you and they would uh, you think be totally comfortable if they actually made that change and uh, how that would help things. I mean, the Marlins in particular didn't have that big of an issue with pace with at the length of their games or the pace of play just because uh, they had some offensive struggles and because their pitching was pretty solid as well. But I mean, that's one that I think really the biggest complaint left about people watching baseball, especially once we get to the postseason, is how delivered everything is between every single pitch. Um, is that something that you'd be in favor of too, speeding up in between pitches? For sure. The pace of play, that was something else Manley had brought up. It's when you think about it, football and baseball games can, you know, with commercials are like three hours, you know, give or take, but it's the action in between. That's the issue. Um, I found myself during this past postseason, just especially if Pedro Baez was on the mound for the Dodgers. It's just like, it's almost unwatchable and so many pitching changes. Um, how are you going to get the casual fan? Obviously, striking the balance of, you know, the diehard fans that don't want too much change, but that's not even changing anything. It's just trying to pick up, it's the pace of play. You know, there's too much time in between. And it's interesting too, because, you know, mentioning the idea of pitchers realize they can maybe, you know, gain more of their velocity in between pitches the longer they have. But for a defender, you, you know, if there's so many seconds in between pitches, you're not on your toes anymore. You're on your heels. Like you're more, I would assume more prone to errors and like, especially with starting pitchers. And so there's a difference, I guess, with relievers, but 
you want that pace. You want that kind of rhythm you want to be in. And like the longer in between pitches, it almost seems counterintuitive, but. Speaking of in-between performances real quick, since you've been since uh, the pro player days of Jackie Robbie days, if there's any, any tradition that you can bring back from those good old days at the old stadium to, to our new park at Marlins Park, what tradition would you bring back? Um, during the playoffs, uh, I caught my parents a lot uh, singing and trying to do the dance moves to everybody's doing the fish. <laughs> so it's like everybody's doing the fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. I, I mean, they. why not, right? <laughs> uh, probably that. Definitely don't miss the orange seats. Or. Uh, you don't miss getting the tan out there in right field? <laughs> nope, exactly. Nope. <laughs> That's where my uh, family's seats were. So, nope. Sundays were never happening, <laughs> ever. <laughs> uh, no. No, definitely that. Why not? Just like the, cause the nineties are coming back in all sorts of, you know, fashion, music, so. Can you get us a, a inside scoop? Can you find out if the, the guys are finally gonna rock out the, the Miami blues in season? What's up with that? Oh, I know the really pretty like sky blue ones that yeah. they do in training and batting practice. I know that's, I think one of my colleagues actually, uh, Mike Petriello even like had posted something about that once. Like, why aren't these the, uh, go to they should be the alternates or you know they're beautiful you know they're just exude like happiness like it's baseball it's summer i, I wonder i wonder why uh mlb i don't know if it's, if it's mlb as a whole or maybe it's just the marlins franchise but sometimes when you look at nba like you look at the miami heat or just nba teams they, they're wearing all types of jerseys they're wearing their modern jerseys they're wearing throwback jerseys they're wearing classic like 30 years ago you know we're getting at a point where this franchise has got years under its belt you know we have looks under our belt i'm not saying bring back the the laurea uh, era orange you know but let's let's rock out the the pinstripes you know why not incorporate some pinstripe pants to our current uniform you know what why not or even I think a couple of years ago, I don't know if I brought it up to someone with the Marlins, but like Thursdays, having like throwback Thursday. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of just a weekend um, when they did that, I think a couple of years ago. Um, I think that'd be cool. You don't have to turn back, you know, the prices of food or drink, but, you know, maybe they have the teams where, not, not the other team, they don't have to, but. Rock out the old Pitbull song. Yeah. That's funny. Well, no, no, never mind. <laughs> that was going to be my other um, thing I would bring back. But yeah, I'm trying to. That beat, that beat was cool. It comes well, I think it was his, I think it was his song Fuego, just like a Marlins, right? I like how the social media team brought it back during the postseason. I got a good kick out of that. Yeah. Here on the official show, we're with MLB.com Marlins beat reporter, Christina DiNicola. Um, two for two. Yeah, with the last name. Yep. Um, take note, listeners. Yeah, I'm sure a lot will be confused. Um, I mean, the strongest case for wearing the blue in regular season games is that every year during spring training, the last few years, they've been incredible. They've been one of the best teams in the Grapefruit League. So whatever that is bringing out in them during February and March, I mean, give that a shot of translating during the regular season itself. What was that? Oh, yeah. Uh, but on that subject of ballpark experience, you did uh, break the story, I suppose, of the fact that FanFest, as we've known it the last few years, is not going to be happening. Um, it's typically in early February, right before 
uh, pitchers and catchers report to spring training. Um, but I, at least based on what we've seen, I believe there's reports out of Tampa Bay that even in their closed dome, that they're going to be moving forward with having a limited number of fans in the ballpark. I think around 7,000 maximum per game there. And with the Marlins, they have a slightly larger capacity. They have the retractable roof. So is it your, uh, from your article, I think you hinted at it as well, but it seems more likely than not that they're going to try to allow some number of fans in regular season games once we get going, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. They fully anticipate um, having fans quantity, obviously, I guess, to be determined, but uh, they're for games and obviously the whole situation's fluid, you know, depending on how vaccines go, how, uh, I guess, why the spread is in the community, because obviously safety is the most important thing, Uh, but there will definitely be protocols put in place. they're still trying to figure that out as well, but that's part of why FanFest won't be happening more than two, three weeks. Gosh, it's terrifying that it's almost going to be February already, uh, but hopefully closer to opening day, which is April 1st, as scheduled at least, um, that they could have some sort of festivities with fans and, and what capacity they're tr- still trying to figure out. I think whoever made this decision in the front office, whoever made that decision, I don't know if it's Bruce Sherman or Jeter or whoever, whoever made that decision, I think nailed it because speaking for the fan base, I think that, yeah, the fan face is awesome. It's cool. It's a great moment to, to interact with the players, players on the roster. Sometimes you get a sneak peek at guys that are going to be on the club, but I think that that emotion kind of got watered down as guys went out to spring training and then it's like a whole month went by. Right. And then, all right, now the season's officially going to begin. And then for fans that didn't have that knowledge of the, the diehard fans that you know that they're going off for spring training and then that the 40-man roster is going to go down to 26, you know, they don't know that they have to keep uh, – what's the word? Competing. They have to, have to keep competing, right, in spring training. And then you don't really have an idea of what the whole full roster is going to be, maybe with the exception of a couple of guys. So I'm all for this, this move of being closer to, to opening day because now the, the fans are going to be like, all right, these are the guys that are going to be on the team for opening day, hands down. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because different uh, organizations do their fan fest variation super early. I think the Cubs usually in December. The Cardinals just had their virtual on this past weekend. And a lot of the times you don't know who's going to be on the roster. Guys get traded before or after. I'm trying to remember if the Nationals had that uh, take place a couple of years ago. And it's just, it's, it's a very strange, you know, dynamic in that sense. Um, I, I mean, I'm just remembering last year, didn't Matt Kemp attend FanFest? And then obviously he never actually uh, played in the majors with the Marlins, you know? So uh, it's always, I think this is uh, very specifically for like COVID-19 pandemic, but I mean, if down the road, they wanted to do that again, it, I think it, it makes sense especially to build up excitement closer to opening day, because there is that month and a half stretch then from when pitchers and catchers report to opening day where the average fan or just casual fans is like, oh, you mean the season didn't start? <laughs> then why'd you have this? Exactly. Right. Hey, any, 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 any news? Can you, can you share any news with us? Are we any closer to a new sponsor at Marlins Park, maybe Publix Park or Sedano's Park, something like that? 
that's one of the things I haven't been able to pursue yet, but I know I've always, I thought like Publix Park, you got alliteration, which writers love and just, you know, who doesn't love pubs, uh, you know, just what Publix, I guess, <laughs> the obsession with it down here seems like it would be a fit. Um, I haven't been able to pursue that lead yet, but hopefully sometime soon, uh, TV deal news will be coming out. Um, even, you know, I'm not like giving like an exclusive, it's just, I was told at least that it would make sense for it to happen by spring training. La, La Carreta Park is a, is a second close for me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, you know, I was thinking about how cool it was that you mentioned with, with us that and the audience that you got to be an intern for MLB. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that your first day at MLB as an intern, you, you, you had a bunch of emotions in your stomach, maybe like butterflies even. Um, what was it like compared to your first day now taking over the first day you got the keys, you take the keys of the car, you know, Joe gave you the keys to the car. Take it. It's yours now, Christina. You know, did the, did he give you any wise words? You know, the force is strong with you, young one. <laughs> well, my nickname uh, is whippersnapper. So uh, there was definitely that at least once. And I think another time was like, you were my second best intern. That's always our little running joke. I'm like, how dare you? Um, but I just, re I don't remember the first day as an intern, but I do know that was um, the year that Jose was signed. So that was, I remember when he came to, to was it Sun Life Stadium that year? Who knows? Uh, he was like starstruck by Haley Ramirez taking batting practice. And that tells you how long ago this was. And then that was also the same year that Edwin Rodriguez just disappeared as manager. Uh, at Tropicana Fields. I remember Joe and I scrambling like, all right, we spoke to Michael Hill. I'll like go run up and transcribe while you get whatever else and uh, like a tag team effort on that. Uh, so that was a lot of learning to get to this point where now I'm like, all right, like I've almost seen it, especially <laughs> covering the Marlins over the years. I'm sure it's the same thing with the Mets. You kind of see it all. Nothing really shocks you anymore. So uh, yeah, I'd say it was like, okay. I'm ready. Like, nothing, knock on wood, can phase me at this point. Well, I imagine one of the attractions of being a beat writer is, um, well, I suppose there are some things that uh, it's a little overwhelming sometimes to be covering a team that plays almost every single day for spring training plus regular season plus, I mean, it could be eight months of constant travel, but the travel is also something that is, can be hugely attractive about being with the team and exploring other cities and exploring other ballparks as well. I mean, Marlins Park is pretty good, but elsewhere in the National League, we have some of the best in all of baseball and some really spectacular views and experiences and all that. Uh, I mean, with the understanding that this is subject to change because of the pandemic, I mean, I know that, uh, that specifically one of, I know one of Joe's, um, one of the things that bothered him, of course, about the season is not getting that element in coverage, uh, not always even needing to go to the ballpark itself to actually cover games because of how little access um, reporters had due to, I mean, safety, understandable safety precautions. But, but what is your tentative plan in terms of how many games you'll be covering yourself versus ones you can do remotely and how often you might be traveling, uh, even understanding the risks. How, I mean, how often would you want to take advantage of that opportunity or is that subject to getting a vaccine and all that? I mean, what are the factors in your head when it comes to 
what exactly your itinerary is going to look like this year? Well, we had a call amongst uh, the beat reporters and our editor, basically under the assumption that we probably won't travel uh, unless you know something changes later on in the summer and fall. Um, I plan. I mean, I don't think the Marlins or league or whatnot have said really specifically if everything's just going to be on Zoom. Even for spring training, we're still kind of. It's tricky because, you know, the other teams other than the Rays and I guess the Diamondbacks have to travel for spring training, but we're technically, depending on how fast you drive on 95 or the Turnpike, you know, an hour and 15, 30 minutes away. So you could technically, I guess, you know, go up there, drive up there or stay in, you know, the Jupiter area. And, but if it's all on Zoom, like how it's, it's, I think it's one of those things, like I had mentioned with fan fest or whatnot, just a very fluid or with the fans is a fluid situation to kind of see um, hopefully as vaccination, you know, distribution becomes more, you know, widespread or more, I guess, you know, better, <laughs> uh, you know, how things can get better in terms of actual coverage. But um, I intend to be in the press box, I think. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily going to shy away from that. I mean, if I'm assuming stuff then is on Zoom, so I'll be doing what Jordan had been doing and, you know, in the press box and then doing the Zoom calls from the press box. Uh, but it's just, I miss seeing baseball in person. It's really weird. I remember March 12th was the last day of spring training last year, and I was covering, it was Marlins and Cardinals, and I was filling in for Joe on Marlins. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember calling my editors like do I drive home like or do I go back to my Airbnb and they're like just go back and we'll kind of figure out how things go and lo and behold you know nobody really went back in any capacity uh so it was it still feels like it I don't know like it's almost a year has passed and it's just like how how did that happen right selfishly um for me and my staff it's been very convenient to have zoom access and being able mm -hmm. to pass along responsibilities whether I have, uh, I have staffers in colleges in different parts of the country and for them to be able to check in just like everybody else and ask their questions and uh, cover it in their own way and of course I also have it recorded I mean that's been uh, just totally a novel idea compared to what baseball coverage has always been that uh, it's been very convenient so shout out to Jason Latmer and the whole communications department great job and hopefully uh even when things are back to normal, that, that could be integrated in the traditional press experience because it, it makes it so much easier to get everybody in context instead of, I mean, so many stories are made out of the fact of uh, being misquoted in the post-game scrum in the clubhouse and the fact that we could actually have uh, like every moment of it chronicled. Um, I think that would avoid a lot of unnecessary controversy or misunderstandings about uh, what's going on uh, with the team, but uh, we're going to wind down here pretty soon. Actually looking forward to the 2021 team. Marlins obviously coming off a exciting, successful year relative to expectations, despite missing so many games and missing the actual fan presence that the fact that the team had a winning record and had some individual star power was such a big step forward. And you mentioned earlier uh, all the evergreen content that you've been doing since you've been joining on the beat, because aside from the Ross Detweiler signing, there hasn't been a whole lot uh, in terms of transactions or 
really hot rumors with the team to cover. Um, but they do have some areas that they could address before this season gets going. They could address a right fielder or in general, just a, a power hitting left-handed bat. They could address the catching position after not getting a whole lot of production from that last year. They, they could definitely address the bullpen. And I guess that's the one that they're most likely to address. And I mean, in my opinion, people that have been listening to the pod know that I'm pretty high on adding one more starting pitcher, even if it's someone on a minor league deal that has a lot of major league experience, having some sort of veteran presence, because right now in their rotation, it's everybody 25 and younger, which is, it's, it's a cool concept um, from that standpoint, but in terms of actually realistically being a competitive team when you're dealing with that much inexperience and these guys with so many question marks, it's uh, it's tricky. What, which of those areas do you um, think they're most, are you most confident about us seeing a new addition between now and the start of spring training? What's the most realistic um, from whatever standpoint do you, um, you, they could do a lot of different things, but which of those do you think they will do? I think the safe bet uh, from, I guess, the off-season availability from Kim Aang to Don Mattingly is just keep adding to the bullpen. Um, they, I mean, that's basically what they've done this off-season so far, and uh, they've made it a priority. Obviously, the starting pitching is young, and there's a lot coming as well, but in order to, I guess, cement those wins, as they put it, you kind of need those final few innings or whatnot to get get those. But it's the thing I've picked up, like when I've been looking at Twitter and fans kind of seem like distressed about the lack of moves and whatnot is trying to, and I addressed it in my first inbox, is trying to find the balance of not just adding for adding sake. Um, I think it's an interesting situation because the team made the postseason but they're very young and they're not where they need to be yet to be adding that like multi-year splash blockbuster player, in my opinion, that I think happens next year, especially when you look at the free agent class, especially at shortstop, if that's what they wanted to pursue. Uh, I think this year and Derek Jeter even alluded to it at like the Thanksgiving event I covered is they need to find out which of these everyday position players that are prospects are part of part of that of when they're competing for this titles every year. And so I think in years past, they might've gotten that stop gap. I mean, not that they might not do that in right field and get, let's say a Puig or a Duval. you know, there's just some names that have been thrown out, but how are you gonna know then which of those prospects are ready if you're not giving them those playing chances? And especially with the lost season for the minors last year, this is kind of the time. If there's going to be growing pains, but you won't know if they're capable and part of being those year in year out competitive teams, those guys, if they don't get the chance. And I think, you know, you're definitely going to see it at second base between Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. So in right field, you've got a zillion people who could be part of it. And then you also have the intrigue of, you know, Starling Marte and Corey Dickerson will be in their last years of their deals. So those are people that are going to have to be replaced. So it's, you don't want to lose if you're the Marlins, right? You don't want to come back from, you know, making the playoffs and suddenly be like a 90 loss team again. But you also need to make sure you get Jesus Sanchez and Monty Harrison, you know, 
those kind of guys the playing time to see if they are part of that solution. Um, but so that's why I say relievers definitely. I don't think it's going to be like a Brad Hand. Um, I mean, if they did, then that's not going to be on a one-year deal. That's one of those things too. Is you see, I'm trying to think of a recent example, they're not going to sign a guy for at least I don't think for ten million just for this year, unless they're going to flip them. But it's like, what's the point? It's not. You've got the Mets going all in. I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry. The Mets are going all in because they have a lot of money now, but they also have a lot of arbitration eligible guys and three big free agents at the end of the year. So they kind of need to, They're, they have no farm system left. You've got the Braves who obviously have a great farm system. They have, you know, great players. Their rotation proved themselves in the postseason. reliable bullpen. You've got the nationals who is Strasburg going to be healthy, but they also have Soto. They have Turner. They have Scherzer nearing the end of his career. Corbin, who's kind of didn't have a great 2020. So it's like, where are the Marlins in this? They're can capitalize on what the momentum they had last year, but also they're not where they're supposed to be yet. They're a little ahead of schedule, at least in terms of 2020. So don't mortgage the farm and what you're building to suddenly like, oh, we made the 2020 postseason in a 60 game season. Now we need to go and trade away four top prospects for that one guy just for the one year. That doesn't make like Lindor. That wouldn't have made sense in 2020, in my opinion. You know, in 2021 to like trade for Lindor. You know that type of thing. Um, I just it's going to be interesting. I think as a Marlins fan, they you know should be excited because you're going to get great starting pitching as long as guys can stay healthy. It's going to be tricky all across Major League Baseball in terms of how workloads are managed because especially with the Marlins and young pitchers, they haven't had normal innings in over a year. And then the guys who did come up last year, like Sixto Sanchez, we all know that he had some sort of an injury, not past, but you know, they were, you know, purposely being careful with him. And then you've got like Braxton Garrett who had Tommy John a few years ago. And just all those guys don't have many innings under them. You have to be careful with them, which would then tie in with my agreements with you about getting a veteran pitcher, starting pitcher, because what happens if one of those guys gets hurt? You need like an innings eater. Yeah. Um, by the time people are listening to this tomorrow, there's going to be a workout in Miami with Anibal Sanchez and Julio right. Ferran. I would exactly. be very surprised if the Marlins are not there. I mean, they were also at that workout last week for Corey Kluber and Steve Ciszek and Anthony Schwarzak. So, I mean, they're at least doing their due diligence. So I'd like to see them do their due diligence with that. But this flows into uh, perfectly into my follow-up question that if they do go very young, at almost a lot of their positions, uh, especially at second base, probably in right field if they don't add anybody, and of course with their rotation, that which of those young players are you most confident in uh, being, if not a star player, then a really above average contributor breaking out? You can't choose Sixto Sanchez because Sixto is, uh, we've already seen the immense talent that he has, and he's based on that alone, he has a pretty high floor for himself. But anybody else, um, I guess, well, hopefully someone focus on someone that is still a prospect, technically. Uh, any of those young players that maybe those that debuted last year or that are going to debut this year that you're most confident in making that transition very smoothly? I hope I don't, like, put a curse on <laughs> this person. But I think I also addressed in that inbox, I think Jazz Chisholm, you saw flashes of it uh, just – his persona, his personality just has that swag, that confidence. Um, and having spoken to him, I think two weeks ago now at the Players Alliance tour, he just, 
he's focused. He knows that you know he's confident. He's capable. Um, he's that much needed left-handed bat that the Marlins lineup hasn't had. You know, and when you think about it, let's say for 2021, what it would be projected right now, him and Corey Dickerson, if he or Isan, you know, between the two. So there's like two lefty bats in that whole lineup. Um, you know, MLB Pipeline had him as a 2020 guy and just showed off the glove. You know, he showed well, he had a double in the game three of the NLDS. You know, he had a nice series in New York. Uh, I just see him as someone that, then they need someone like him, you know, on the position player prospect front to, you know, show that they belong in the majors. Cause that's the next part of the re is of the build. Uh, you know, the starting pitchers have been showing it to an extent. Now the position players need to catch up and that's the next step in, I guess, getting to that competitive level where you're competing every game with the Braves for the division. Right. And you mentioned that most value leaders will say 2020 potential. If you listen to Jazz himself, he had a tweet, I think just last week, about his ideal season. He thinks he could go 40-40. We'll see if that's possible. It hasn't been done in a number of years, but he's not lacking in confidence whatsoever. He is. No, and I think that's huge. I mean, if you don't, if you can't see, you know, if you don't believe it, you can't see it. It can't happen. You have to, you know, it's better than to be like, oh man, I'm going up. Like, how many times with body language with players, they just seem like they're defeated. Not that that's not going to happen to him or everyone. Like it happens at some point in their careers, but they'll take the confidence, <laughs> you know, any day. Right. Anything else for our guest, Alex, that you have on mind? Oh man, I think she she killed every single point. Like she she killed like. I'm sorry how, about the ramble at the end, but it's just one of those. It's funny because I've and I don't you know as as a former fan because you know, I've been in this long enough now. It's just like please don't let the games go too long. <laughs> you want them to be interesting, but not like crazy. That you know you're coming off a of postseason, you expect then to, but you have to find that balance because absolutely you know Corey Dickerson and Starling Marte are part of like. 2023 or 2020 well we're in 2021 so yeah let's say like you know it's you have to that was the whole point right of this build of those trades that Jeter and the ownership group made is that these are the guys that they brought in you're going to be part of this regime change part of this new culture that we're building so now you know like that that's this is the time to show it right yeah and I'm I, she killed it when she said that we don't need to be trading away our prospects and like the Francisco Lindor trade, it didn't make sense for us at the moment. There's a lot of people rambling that they want to bring in my cousin, Wilson Contreras, into the into Miami, you know. And I think it would be cool. But at the same time, I think it's too early to throw the flag on Alfaro. Like, we, we got a short short season last year, you know. And this is an opportunity that we got to give him. We got to give him his at-bats. Chad Wallach did pretty good last year, you know. Um we're obviously not going to expect him to be a batting title champion, but if he can do his work as a great backup guy, then we, we got it. And Valfaro can tap into his offensive potential. We got it. You know, that's why we got to give these guys opportunities to play. The same thing can be said for the guys out there in right field. And we don't know if it's going to be a Jesus Sanchez. We don't know if it's going to be Monte. We don't know if it's going to be a hitting Harold who's raking out there in Columbia, you know? So there is a lot of excitement surrounding this baseball team. And hopefully at, what the franchise, the front office has shown, they're not going to make no bonehead move and go sign a Wei Yang Chen out there. We're going to go out there and hopefully we can get a veteran guy, maybe bring back, bring back Annette Ball 
bring Annabelle home. You know, how cool would that be to bring back Annabelle Sanchez and he can call it a career out here in Miami, you know, um, that would be epic. And that would be a guy that wouldn't, you know, cost you an arm or a leg that would be budget friendly for this team. And he would be a veteran that would help plant seeds and, and show the next generation of players how to, how to go about the right way. Ground ball. This might do it. Hanley to first. He did it. Definitely. And then going back to Alfaro, it's a huge, it's a, you know, he's, his career with the Marlins is at a crossroads. He, in his defense for last year, he in spring training had, I think a hamstring strain. So he didn't even get going then. Then he had COVID, you know, for missed the first month. So the, he had no sort of, you know, he can never really get into it. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, but he does, you know, it's very important. He needs to show, you know, improvements especially behind the plate, you know, you know, at the plate, we know that he has the raw power, but also strikes out a bunch. So it's, but then, you know, then he had like a walk-off hit against the Philly. It's one of those things that needs consistent, he needs consistency, but he needs to, this is the year he has to show if he's part of the future. And that's why I said 2021 is, I think that should be almost like the theme or the slogan is like, are you part of our like, you know, championship teams? (laughs) This is, and that's, even with this past last spring's training, the competition between the guys, you know, it breeds everyone, you know, amping their game. And I think, especially like, let's say for right field, no matter who's there, if they bring in someone from the outside or the guys who are already in the system in the organization that they know they're fighting for this job from Brinson to Monte to hitting Harold, which lovely Frizzaro, you know, <laughs> it lives on. Uh, to Jesus Sanchez, like those are guys that are know that they're going in there battling for a job, and you know what better motivation than that? You could definitely expect expect a bounce back se- season from Corey McKenzie Dickerson as well. I know a lot of fans were shortchanged on his production, but again, it was a short season, so I'm looking that forward. And you know, he spent a week in a hotel. I think a lot of the veteran guys, even with going back to Anibal Sanchez, he started off really poorly for the Nationals, and then as the season went on. He kind of looked more like himself, especially against the Marlins. He, I think for the veteran guys and how truncated the season was, a very quick ramp up, especially I would assume for pitchers, that it didn't lend themselves to being their, you know, career selves. And uh, yeah, for Corey Dickerson, I mean, as inconsistent as he was and not living up to the contract, he hit the biggest home run of the season in that Cubs game. So it's almost like, okay, you know, (laughs) that's, that, that that paid for at least this year of the contract. Hey, to be fair to everybody in the league, like the rest of the starting pitchers in the league, not everybody can be like Pablo Lopez. Huh? Pablito came out of the hotel room and threw up zeros. That was epic. Yeah, that's my mom's favorite. And he knows it. I was like, my mom loves you. I'm like, <laughs> good. He's a great dude. He's honestly one of the best uh, athletes I've had to like, you know, interact with over the years for work, hands down. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is um, a tangent on, on my part, but w- one thing I've been fascinated with is how few players that were here before the ownership transition are still here. And uh, people think of Pablo because he's so young. I mean, at this moment, still 24. They think of him as part of this new era, but technically he was acquired at the deadline in 2017. 
before new ownership took over. And I mean, the track record we've seen the last few years are that this front office, we'll see exactly how much Kim Ang affects that mindset, but they've been a lot more willing to frankly discard some of the players that were here before the transition players that they didn't acquire themselves. But uh, thankfully I'm, I'm a huge fan of Pablo's as well. So it's encouraging that he did everything in his power this past year to show that he's part of the solution, pretty indispensable for them. So even though he technically is connected to the old front office and all that, that uh, I, he's as good a chance as anybody to actually sticking around for their foreseeable future. Shout out to David for Phelps sure. who netted us uh, Pablo Lopez. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those great trades that we got. And then he joins the Phillies and kind of does what the Phillies bullpen does. Yeah. <laughs> He imploded. He looked out for us. David Phelps, we got to build him a statue outside somewhere, little Havana. <laughs> That's my Harry Potter buddy. That's in that, my, I'm always like, oh gosh, it's been so long since I was like on the Marlins beat or on that side of the ballpark. David Phelps was one of my like Harry Potter buddies. Uh, I remember one year they were like, you play Quidditch? <laughs> and then they wanted to learn more. So like him and Steve Ciszek and then Tom Puller would tease me about it. Like, you're talking about Quidditch again? I'm like, they brought it up. They found the video. It wasn't me. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, but that's one of the, like I mentioned before, one of the big thing is how they manage the pitchers. Um, if they get creative, if they do like six man rotation for a bit, if maybe they send people down, like they almost do like a shuttle service, you know, it's, there's a lot that, and that's one of the good things about having a lot of starting pitching depth in the system is that they can be creative if they choose to and be careful because, I mean, Sandy's the only guy that's come close to 200 innings. And even then that was 2019, you know, and he didn't get many this year because having COVID. So uh, it's going to be, it's, it, that's why it's, I mean, obviously as a fan, you want to win, but like for me as like someone covering the team, it's going to be interesting and exciting to see in all assets, like facets, what's going to happen, uh, how they manage that, how they manage the young guys prospects wise. And uh how they tackle, I guess, the Mets and Braves, Phillies and Nationals. Because so, the whole the whole division's going for it. So, so I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, a big part of your role is going to be news coverage, of course, with this team. But in the absence of news for these past few weeks, and potentially if they stay really young and don't make a lot of transactions, you may not have a whole lot of news to do. So, uh, could are there any special projects that either you've already gotten started on, or are in your mind percolating? about any special features that we could see on the site because Joe Versaro did a couple of these that were really impactful about either old Marlins players that are doing interesting things now or just certain trends in the game that really fascinate him and diving deep into that. And you should imagine have the, the, the long leash to explore some of those topics as well. So what have you been thinking about in that department? Things that um, either are already on the way or potentially at some point during this year we could see on the website. Well, there'll be um, a story. I don't know if it, it's one of those things like, when is things going to run? Because if breaking news happens and it gets pushed back. Um, I'm very a big proponent, even during my time with Fox Sports Florida, of like they're, they're athletes, but they're humans first. So I'm very big on human interest pieces, seeing what they are as people. 
So next week there might be one on a certain guy who's taking a different avenue, not just baseball, who's doing stuff this off season. I'll keep it vague. If anyone follows social media, they'll, they might know which athlete I'm talking about and what endeavor he is undertaking. Um, I'm trying to track down uh, an origin story of something I alluded to earlier in the podcast. I like I'm putting like very vague Easter eggs. Like at least Taylor Swift does them like creatively. I'm just like, really bad with mine. Um, but no, I'm trying to find the origin story of a certain thing that we had wanted to bring back from the Marlins, uh, which is proving uh, tricky right now. But if I get it, it's going to be like my holy grail. Um, and I'm also trying to figure out how I can top Joe's seventh inning stretch. It's going to be tough. So if you guys have any <laughs> ideas, <laughs> more than, you know, willing to hear them because uh, my my job announcement, one of my colleagues wanted me to do something on brand. And so I was going to do, I did write lyrics, but then I didn't record it. Uh, a song parody to Lady Gaga's You and I, but announcing that I was the new uh, beat. But then I didn't record it. And I'm like, my, I told my parents and my brother, like, please don't do that. I'm like, um, I don't know. If, you know the, the people would expect that who know me. Right. And then I didn't do it. Uh, so I got to think of something creative, though, like the seventh inning stretch. We'll see. I don't know. You guys have any ideas? Well, well, for people that, that want to follow you along, of course, aside from going to the website itself on Twitter and Instagram at cdenicola13. I believe that's both yeah. and IG. Um, so, so they could follow along what you come up with over there or they could drop you <laughs> hints over there as well. My nonsense on Instagram too, yeah. My Instagram stuff, once the season starts and if we're at the ballpark, they'll be actual baseball stuff now it's just like oh i'm reading this book or do you have do you have any hobbies like you know how like maybe you can incorporate one of your hobbies like one of joe's hobbies was like grilling right i know that grilling oh, so maybe I, the seventh inning you know i'm just throwing this out a seventh inning knitting with christina or something like that definitely don't know how to knit i think i did we learned briefly in girl scouts decades ago and i didn't really care for it it's gonna i don't know I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think of something I'm like, what are my talents? Or, but it also, it's like, am I going to be at the ballpark or going to be at homework and actually have, I guess, more like flexibility about what, what ridiculousness. But yeah, CD Nicola 13, the 13, because I guess there's another CD Nicola across social media. And then as a Miami person, I guess when I still cared about football, I was obviously a big, I guess, damn right now. Obviously, <laughs> shocker. Did you ever play softball? Did uh, travel and four-year varsity and a captain. I did soccer, um, black belt in Taekwondo. Nice. Were, were uh, you number 13 there? I was. Uh, not my freshman years because, you know, seniority takes over. But, yeah, always 13. And I had my walk-up song for softball was We Ready, which was Juan Pierre's uh, walk-up song. So that was a slap hitter. They converted me because I was fast. Softball fast soccer average fast <laughs> um but yeah so it was, i was like how i have many, to jp's the man how many times did it cross your mind i know it crossed my mind when i was a kid growing up to playing ball that uh i would go up there to the play and think i was like i'm just gonna drop one down i'm gonna drop one down these guys aren't expected <laughs> well see they, they would expect it from me because i was a slap hitter but um i remember when one of my first years covering the team and juan pierre saw me he goes man you make he, and he even told yelich he says She's making me feel old. I remember she was in the stands. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, JP. Yeah. Well, we're excited to learn more about your eccentric background and your activities. And oh, that's eccentric. I apologize ahead of time. We're excited to get to know you and potentially bring you back on the pod in the future. MLB.com Marlins beat reporter Christina DiNicola. I think I went three for three with that. On you did. That's, that was great. That's a hopefully a good sign for 2021. Along here with Alex Contreras, Eli Sussman, the official show here on the Fish Traps podcast. We'll be back on the pod again pretty soon. Um, but this was excellent, Christina. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Stay safe. And as always, go fish. Go fish.